Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park You are listening to Killer. This is case number 16, The Farmville Murders. Lock your doors, bolt your windows, and turn off the lights. We're about to begin. Attorneys for an aspiring rapper who wrote songs about death and destruction say their client could go to trial on quadruple murder charges as early as October. Richard McCroskey smiled as he made his way into a Virginia courthouse Tuesday. He's not used to being in public at all. And, and I think sometimes he smiles when he's not really... It, it's just it's a nervous smile. It was the first time he had been seen in public since being charged in the gruesome killings of his girlfriend, her best friend, and her parents last fall. Bowen says Sam is still feeling remorse about the deaths. The California native was arrested at Richmond International Airport one day after police discovered four brutally beaten bodies inside this home. McCroskey had been at the house visiting a 16-year-old girl that he met online through their interest in horrorcore a type of rap music that sets gory lyrics over hip-hop beats. As they wait for a mental evaluation and other evidence, McCroskey's attorneys say they haven't ruled out trying to get the trial moved out of the small college town. We start selecting jurors, then we'll know what we have to do, and the judge will too. Another hearing has been set for September 20th. Ross Simpson, The Associated Press. Farmville is a small town located in central Virginia near the headwaters of the Appomattox River. Farmville, much like where I'm from, had a canal navigation system to move produce and tobacco from Farmville to Petersburg, Virginia, until the rollout of more railways sped across the country. Throughout the years since the town was established, it went through many changes with the times. Farmville adopted railways, became an area for coal mining, and was a location where General Robert E. Lee retreated through as he escaped the Union Army during the Civil War. Farmville even had a claim to being incorporated into the Brown versus the Board of Education in 1954 via the Davis vs. County School Board of Prince Edward County. This was a landmark case that overturned school segregation in the United States. All of this to say, Farmville is a relatively quiet place, having between 8,200 and 9,000 residents. If you read the Wikipedia page under Recent Events, in 2015 it was selected to host the vice presidential debate at Longwood University in 2016. In 2008, it opened a YMCA behind a newly built Lowe's Home Improvement store. Emma Niederbrock was the daughter of a minister, Reverend Mark Niederbrock, and her mother, Dr. Deborah Kelly. Her mother was a criminal justice professor at Longwood University, and the family resided in Farmville, Virginia. 
Emma's parents were in the middle of divorcing in September of 2009 when an eventual tragedy would strike. Emma was known as a beautiful, sweet, and smart young woman. She left public school during her middle school years to be homeschooled instead. She had dreams of becoming a fashion designer and would model her designs for her family and friends. She was into a sort of goth culture, dyeing her hair bright pink and proudly wearing the nickname Ragdoll. Emma had an interest in horrorcore rap, frequenting message boards and websites, focusing on the rap subgenre. She was active online, including her MySpace account, where she met fellow horrorcore fans Richard McCroskey and Melanie Wells. Melanie Wells also shared an affinity for horrorcore rap and became online friends with Emma. Melanie was born and raised in Louisville, Kentucky, but eventually moved to West Virginia when she was in high school. Due to the disruption of moving during high school, the Wells' decided it would be best for Melanie to complete her schooling at home. Melanie was described as sweet and friendly, and she loved music. With a shared interest in horrorcore, Emma invited Mel to join her to go check out a concert in Michigan. The pair would also be joined by Emma's online boyfriend, Richard McCroskey. McCroskey was a horrorcore rapper himself, but was also in a serious online relationship with Emma. The pair had been quote-unquote dating online for over a year. I use the term dating here as I've seen it referenced several times during my research. However, I'm not 100% certain that they were actually boyfriend and girlfriend the whole time or ever. Regardless, Richard flew from California to meet up with Mel and Emma at Emma's home in Farmville, Virginia. Emma's mother and father were aware of her affinity for horrorcore rap and weren't necessarily thrilled with it. And it appears at some point Emma and her mother were in counseling together over the obsession Emma had with horrorcore. Emma's parents uh, didn't really enjoy the fact that she was involved in this and and they tended to to view this as more of a like a phase in her life so her parents you know her dad is a minister and and her mom uh, a professor at the university right there uh, Longwood you know so they you know they kind of advocate against this you know subculture of horrorcore rap but they also kind of viewed it as a phase in her life and that, you know, she was going to grow out of it, if you will. So they didn't really fight her too hard, but her mother and her were in counseling over it. And I I'd read several reports that stated that, you know, her mother wasn't thrilled with it. And one of her colleagues and her had had a conversation regarding Emma's obsession with horrorcore and, you know, basically saying what I already said, you know, it was a phase in her life and she was going to try to move out of it. The one thing I find interesting is her father was a reverend or a minister at a church. And I think that's that the classic cliche of, oh no, I have a rebellious kid and she's listening to horrorcore rap or whatever it might be. I mean, it, it, it seems like the, like I said, the classic cliche of where religion steps in the way of, you know, art or music and there's always that battle. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. Like when Kiss came out and, you know, everyone's against Kiss because, you know, they're the devil's music. Well, the Juggalos are the devil's music in this right. case. And the, same, the same thing for all the goth music, the Marilyn Manson movement, this and that. Everybody freaking out about it. There's people protesting on the streets and you have all these religious groups that are shitting their pants over their, what the music their kids are listening to. Yeah, I mean, there is something to be said with that. There, There's something to be said for people who expose themselves to you know, violence on a daily basis and just like feed that. However, it doesn't necessarily mean you are violent or are going to be violent. You know, I really enjoy uh, horror movies and obviously true crime. I'm probably next to the least violent person you would ever meet in your entire life. I, I don't get violent about anything ever. And so, you know, there's people like me who can digest this stuff and move on from it, process it and, and deal with it. And then there's people who can't. And I think that's you know, where we deal with a lot of these issues is you you have the people who are afraid of it, first of all, which is usually like the religious groups in this in this case. And then you have the people consuming it and people who consume it, who can deal with it are fine. But it's those weirdos who, you know, you hear about who that kid just sat there and listened to Marilyn Manson all day long. And then all of a sudden goes out and, you know, shoots up a school and then Marilyn Manson gets blamed for it. And it's like, well, no, that dude was just crazy, <laughs> like straight up. You know, you have to be a little bit psychotic for that to actually have an effect on you in that way. So, yeah, there was definitely a bit of that going on for sure. Yeah, it's it's all how people, I guess, digest the type of stuff that they, they watch, they listen to, they read. It, it's how they, in their mind, I, I've seen people reference or refer to it as how they compartmentalize stuff and, and put it away, how much they get into it, stuff like that. And 
I get a little bit of a chuckle out of the religious side because one of my very good friends when we were growing up, especially when we hit the high school years, his mom and dad were uber super religious. And I mean to the nth degree. And just every little thing that he did was overly criticized. And But he, he turned out fine. He's very successful. I mean, he knew how to rationalize stuff that he was doing. And he never, you know, he took it at literal face value. He never really got into it big time, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, um, I kind of fit that mold. Um, growing up, you know, I would consume violent movies, violent video games, um, violent music. Uh, I listened to a lot of uh, rap music. My parents would buy me the CDs at the time, and, you know, they were clearly marked, parental advisory, you know, all that garbage. And I never really got in trouble with anything. I didn't do drugs. I didn't drink. Um, I was a square, if you will. I just, I don't know, I could consume it and keep it over in this other part of my mind where it was like, yeah, okay, this is just what it is, it's entertainment to me. It's just like watching a comedy movie, except it's not comedy in this case, it's just some other form of entertainment, and I could move on about my day without being consumed by it and being a complete a-hole, you know, listening to this stuff or whatever. So, I don't know, it's, it is it is always strange to me because I'm the exact opposite of the people that you see that get put in the news for this, where they can't consume it and then they get in trouble later on you know being part of this you made reference to you didn't really know if they were actual boyfriend or girlfriend or just online acquaintances did you make anything of that at all well i know they had a relationship online but i don't know if they like officially if he's like hey will you be my girlfriend and she's like yeah i'll be i'll be your girlfriend you know that kind of thing you know all these stories reference that they were dating but you're online. Like, how much are you really dating? Like, yeah, could they have been flirting with each other online? They definitely were. There was proof of that. But were they actually boyfriend and girlfriend? I don't know for sure. That's why I threw that in there with a kind of a disclaimer. I couldn't verify that 100%. It's mentioned several times. I'll roll with it and say they were going out. But I don't know. I mean, are you really going out when you're on the opposite coast of each other and never met in person before and you just talk online? I mean, yeah, they had an infatuation with each other, clearly, but, you know, and were flirting all the time. But I, I don't know that they were, you know, I don't know that I would categorize them as dating unless, you know, they're exclusive with each other, you know, but they'd never even met. <laughs> I, I think nowadays it's just a matter of you see the person's picture and whether you decide to swipe left or swipe right is whether you're dating or not. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So, um, you know, they also had pretty active MySpace and in, in YouTube presences. And, you know, the one thing that I, I did go check out Emma's MySpace page, and I don't even know how to use MySpace. I never even got on MySpace. I resisted Facebook. Someone made my Facebook profile for me, so it tells you how social I am. I know, weird, right? I'm in, like, the millennial generation and don't really use social media. I guess I'm just weird. I, I don't know. Anyway, so I was, you know, going through this, and there are, like, tribute videos to Emma from her friends and stuff on YouTube. And, you know, every picture is like her, like surrounded by a bunch of people partying, drinking and doing drugs and smoking, you know, pot or tobacco. And, you know, I found that kind of strange, you know, all the things you, it's when you read the articles after what happened and you go through and look at them, everyone's like, oh, she was such a sweet, kind, caring person. You know, it's like, you know, they they paint her as like this perfect schoolgirl child and yeah every single thing i saw on youtube was her just partying and doing drugs and stuff so i mean not to say she was a that doesn't make you a bad person but it makes me kind of skeptical based on like okay she's into horror core rap and then she's out partying and doing drugs and drinking and she's being homeschooled i'm starting to put the the points together here that she probably wasn't a uh, star child here i mean i don't know what you think about that but I'm putting those dots together myself saying something's just not adding up with the way they write about her when I'm going and looking at her profiles and seeing exactly what's going on. There, there's something a little amiss here. No, I totally agree. And kudos for going out there and actually finding the MySpace page. I was going to ask that question if you actually had ever been on MySpace. I assume the answer was no, but... <laughs> <laughs> what about you? Oh, Are yeah. You on MySpace? My MySpace page is still out there. You can see a much... Let's see if we can track down Craig's MySpace. Whoever tracks it down and posts it to our account, you get, um, I don't know what you get, a sticker. High five. I'm not going to look it up. You find it and send it to me. <laughs> you get to find a uh, much thinner, much fitter Craig 
from about, what, 10, 15 <laughs> years ago? I don't remember how long ago MySpace was. Did you have hair down to your butt? No, this was uh, this was uh, still post-haircut. There's a running joke with, for those of you obviously that don't know that, uh, before I got married, met my wife, I was a little bit of a, wasn't into the horrorcore stuff. I'm more into the uh, the metal scene as far as music goes. And yeah, once upon a time, I had hair down to my rear end and a long ponytail. And I had a uh, I had a goatee <laughs> that Dimebag Daryl Abbott would have been envious of back in the day. <laughs> so. Well, I still haven't seen evidence of this yet. You told me about this when we worked together not long after we first met, and I still don't believe it, and I've still not seen photo evidence of this. There's photo evidence out there. I just don't know if I can get to it. There's friends and you know that have come and went that may have those photos, but I don't know if I can get a hold of them. There's actually a glimpse of that hair and actually one of my my sister's wedding pictures. You can't see the full effect. I, I got it all slicked back and pulled back, and you can't really see how long it is because I'm obviously facing the camera, but... It's styling it's and profiling. There. I was styling and profiling in the early days. <laughs> I wasn't yeah, a juggalo so, though. Ah, uh, well, hey man, not all of us can aspire to be great things, but I, I still want to see that. So if you find that, you you have to share that with me or post it on our social media. If you'd be so inclined, I'm sure everyone else would get a nice kick out of Craig with uh, hair down <laughs> to his ass. Now, if that actually surfaces due to this show, uh, it's I'm gonna. I don't know what to think, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> Truth. Richard McCroskey, age 20, was an aspiring horrorcore rapper who resided in Castro Valley, California. He went by the name Psycho Sam and Little Demon Dog and was also an amateur graphic designer. He was described by neighbors as a loner and was often teased because of his weight and his red hair. McCroskey is described by his family as shy and timid. They say he would never fight back and defend himself unless provoked. He dropped out of high school, returned, and then dropped out again. About five months prior to his trip to meet Emma, his father asked his mother to move out. McCroskey's horrorcore rap persona depicts violent murder, mutilation, and desecration. In one of his videos, he is seen putting an upside-down cross on a grave of a United States Marine. He has also been rumored to be part of a satanic cult engaged in idolized serial killer David Berkowitz, also known as the Son of Sam. McCroskey met Emma Niderbrook online as they both shared a fondness of horrorcore. The two seemed to hit it off very well online and talked frequently for over a year. As mentioned earlier, it's believed they were in a relationship as a few of Emma's posts seemed to mention her affinity for him. McCroskey, along with Emma and Mel, had planned to attend the horrorcore concert called Strictly for the Wicked in Michigan on September 12, 2009. McCroskey flew to Virginia to meet with Emma on September 6th, and Emma's parents drove the trio up to Michigan to attend the concert. Emma wrote in a MySpace post, Talk about a long-ass drive sharing a car with a fucking preacher. She added, It's gonna suck, but no doubt it's worth it. After the concert, the group headed back to Virginia where Sam would fly back home to California after a few more days of staying with Emma. However, things didn't quite go according to plan. According to several accounts, it seemed as though Psycho Sam had been rejected by Emma following their first face-to-face -face encounter. She didn't quite seem to be as infatuated with him once she met him in person. Something happened at the concert that night, and it seemed he was rejected. There was a report I read which stated that Mel and Emma started keeping him at a distance, and then he went through Emma's phone finding messages that appeared to upset him. In the early morning hours of September 15, 2009, McCroskey took a blunt force instrument, which some accounts say was a mauling axe and others say a sledgehammer. Regardless, he proceeded to bludgeon Emma, Mel, and Professor Kelly to death. He first attacked Mel, who was asleep on the couch on the first floor den. Next, he moved upstairs and murdered Kelly. Finally, he went downstairs to Emma's basement bedroom and murdered her as well. None of the bodies showed signs of defensive wounds, and it would appear that none of them woke up. McCroskey would remain in the home for several days with the dead bodies. It was two days after Psycho Sam murdered the two teens and the professor when Reverend Mark Niederbrock, Emma's father, stopped by the house around 5 p.m. on September 17th to check on the family. No one had heard from them for days, and Melanie Wells' family had reached out to see if Mark could make sure everything was okay. The Reverend decided it was probably a good time to go and check up on things, so he dropped by his estranged wife's house. It's unclear whether there was a confrontation or not, but McCroskey attacked Mark Niederbrock upon his entry into the home. It appeared that Mark had defensive wounds, but was eventually bludgeoned like the others. The attack was so vicious that the hardwood floors beneath his body were damaged and blood soaked through the floorboards. 
Sometime after the attack, McCroskey moved the bodies of Mel and Mark to Emma's room and attempted to clean up the blood. It's not clear when, but at some point after the murders, he used a digital camera to record a video of himself, which indicated he had to pay for what he had done and contemplated suicide. What are your thoughts on that attack there? Pretty crazy. The one thing that caught my eye as we were going down through that part of the story was her parents were dead set against what she was doing and didn't like what she was into, but they were going to fucking drive her to Michigan to this concert. I mean, seriously, if they were that much against it, why would they have drove them up there? Well, you know, I think the the rationale would be that they viewed it as a phase and kind of let it go in support of it without fighting against it to see if it would kind of do the opposite of... You know, you always hear parents fighting against their kids, you know, from doing things. And then their kids just keep escalating to be worse and worse and worse in rebellion of their parents. And in this case, they're probably like, listen, this is a phase. Let's kind of semi support this like as best we can. We don't like it, but we'll drive her up to this concert, keep an eye on her, make sure she's safe, drive her back home, you know. Let her do what she's going to do, but, you know, do it in a way that we think is a little bit safer. And I think that's where they were going with it. I think that's kind of a sound approach. I would probably take that same approach, I think. Yeah, I guess I can see that side of it. But it's just kind of weird, I guess, the way that it read. Yeah, I mean, and that is how how it goes, you know. I mean, they did, I mean, they don't support it, but they support it, which is weird, you know. It, it almost seems like either don't support it at all. Or be in full support. Like, don't, you know, you don't have to drive her to Michigan. Like, she doesn't, she's, I think, 16 years old. Like, she doesn't need to go there, and she can't really go there unless you let her go there, you know? Um, I don't know, maybe she was the type of kid who would have met up with these people and had had someone rent a car and drive off with them, you know, or something like that. Or had a friend who would be willing to drive them to Michigan. And so she would just do it anyway. So they felt like, you know, maybe we need to be there, so we'll do it instead. Right. I can see that side from being a parent, wanting to just make sure that she's safe, she gets there safely, they do their thing, you know, parents hang out, and then they come home. It's something my parents definitely never would have done. (laughs) See, mine were kind of in that vein, you know. Like I said earlier, like, my mom and dad would buy me, you know, records and things to artists who I probably should not have been listening to at the age I was listening to them at. I mean, I was watching Beavis and Butthead in, like, first grade. I don't know that they knew that for sure, but I definitely was. I'm pretty sure we mimicked Beavis and Butthead all day long, a buddy and I, growing up. So they had to know I was watching it at some point. And, you know, like, stuff like that. Like, I was... If my kid was watching Beavis and Butthead today, there's no way in hell I'd let the kid turn the TV on. (laughs) You know what I mean? I I got in trouble one time for letting my son watch Beavis and Butthead before he was five years old. And and the reason I got in trouble (laughs) was because he would be sitting there and... He would laugh at something, and he would just start going, I'm like, uh-oh. <laughs> so, yeah, I got I got in big trouble for that early on. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, you know, not all of us can be cool. I am the great Cornholio. <laughs> uh, but my son now, he's, he's a teenager. He's just fine. Gets good grades in school. Does the right thing. So he has, he has grown a fondness for South Park, so I don't know if that's good or bad. <laughs> yeah i mean it's not i don't know he means that he's at that age i mean i was watching that stuff by then for sure but again my parents were pretty loose with it i had a lot of friends whose parents wouldn't you know let them watch anything like that even in high school like they weren't allowed to watch south park and stuff i mean we did anyway but they weren't supposed to i don't know part of me like i don't know i feel like your ability to express yourself as a kid is something that should be fostered and not everybody gets that you know, their parents try and hold them down and mold them into something. And sometimes that's not necessarily a great approach. You know, sometimes, you know, kids need to feel the ability to express themselves. And some of them do it in a way that's a little over the top, in my opinion. If my kid became a juggalo, I think I would lose my mind. But some of these other things, you know, I'd be a lot more lenient with because I, I think they do need to be able to express themselves. And the theme that I felt like ran through these three people as they met each other, Mel, Emma, and um, Richard, was basically that they were all kind of outcasts. They all kind of got picked on. They all had a little bit of their own problems. You know, obviously two out of the three were homeschooled and McCrossy couldn't stay in school and he had reportedly been bullied. So, you know, I mean, some of that 
it's strange, but somehow how that funnels people together into these weird things like this horrorcore rap. Like, I don't know, just it's interesting how it, how it all kind of shakes out. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Well, it's definitely you make a valid point when you say you gotta let you gotta let your kids experiment and see some of the world outside of you know their own little small subworld at home. And some parents take it to the extreme and they they do everything in their power to hold their kids back and not let them do anything. And I think that makes the children fight back harder. You know, especially when they latch onto something, it makes them it just amplifies everything that much more. Yeah, and a lot of times they start like hanging on to counterculture kind of stuff just to, you know, be rebellious. I had both ends of the spectrums with my friends when growing up. Like I said, I had one friend who his parents were super uber religious. They wouldn't let him do anything. And he lashed out at his parents. I mean, he, he lashed out physically. I mean, one night we were going to a club and I mean, we were all, I think he was the youngest of my friends, but I think we were all 18 and he was, you know, about to turn 18. And when his parents found out where we were going, I mean, his mom literally she tried to physically restrain him from leaving the house and no joke he picked her up and body slammed her into some filing cabinets we all watched this happen he came out to the car and he's like okay guys i'm ready to go like nothing happened and we just watched this go down i'm like holy fucking shit oh man yeah i never witnessed anything like that oh yeah it's it's (laughs) it's it's one of our most famous stories amongst my group of friends But on the on the complete other end of that spectrum, we had a friend whose parents, they just did not give a shit about anything. They would just let their kids do whatever they wanted. They didn't care. And my friend, he actually had a subscription to Playboy in the sixth grade because he asked his parents for one, and they got it for him. His dad signed him up. So <laughs> you know where we were all hanging out when we were in the sixth grade. <laughs> it's two examples of two completely opposite parenting styles. <laughs> and we will definitely be spending a lot of time talking about masturbation. <laughs> I, yeah, I fall somewhere in the middle of that spectrum. I had I, <laughs> I I'm I come from a single parent home and my mom raised us, so I, I'm a little bit I'm I'm somewhere in the middle of that spectrum. Yeah, I I too had friends, you know, on both ends of that spectrum and most of my friends were somewhere in the middle. I don't know. I feel like we always got away with a lot. Like, I don't know. I had a long long leash and never really I don't know. I never had a fight against my parents much. I always got yelled at for the dumbest shit. It was never anything like worth yelling at. I had a fairly famous voicemail from my dad one day screaming at me because I moved his truck in the driveway (laughs) but like I could literally go to a strip club that day and he wouldn't have said two words but I moved the truck in the driveway and got screamed at on voicemail how how Um, old were you when you moved the truck though oh I was oh okay I don't know I was in college so I moved this I, I moved his truck and I put the key somewhere I don't remember where or whatever and he left me a voicemail screaming at me about moving his car and then said something to the effect of like, until you can explain it to my face, I will see you and then hung up. And I don't understand what that meant. And I just laughed. It was so strange. I saved that voicemail forever, but then I lost it when I upgraded my phone one time. It was so funny. I wish I had it. My dad is so bizarre. Like he gets so angry about the most irrational and stupid things yet the things you should be angry and upset about he doesn't give two shits over it doesn't make any sense but anyway yeah he's 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 something else 
So yeah, we'll, we'll move on back to the storyline out of personal story time here. Melanie Wells' mother called city police to ask them to check on her daughter at the Kelly residence. She even called the Kelly home on several occasions and spoke to McCroskey. Each time they spoke, he provided a different story. At one point, police came to the home and spoke to McCroskey, in which he cited that Mel was at the movies with a friend. They left the home satisfied with that response. I'm not quite clear if it's the first encounter that happened before the murders or after Mark Niederbrock. However, after Niederbrock's murder, there was another uh, encounter with law enforcement. McCroskey stole Niederbrock's 2000 Honda. During this time, he managed to wreck the car into a ditch and was ticketed for driving without a license. But he was let go as police were still unaware of the murders. After this encounter, he hopped into a taxi with Curtis Gibson, the driver. When questioned later, Gibson stated that McCroskey smelled of a foul odor and he had to drive with the windows down to keep from gagging. Others that encountered Psycho Sam during this time after the murders would say that his clothes appeared to be caked in gore. Everyone who encountered him also said he seemed calm and not suspicious. McCroskey took the taxi all the way to Richmond International Airport in Richmond, Virginia, which was about an hour from Farmville. By this time, police had been called by Mel's mother again and made the gruesome discovery of the bodies in the home. McCroskey was at the airport and waiting in the baggage claim area until his flight was ready to board, which would be another day's wait. This was just enough time for police to track him down and apprehend him prior to making his flight. Upon his apprehension, police say he did not initially cooperate. He was charged with six counts of capital murder due to the brutality of the murders. On September 20, 2010, he pleaded guilty to the four murders in which he reached a plea agreement to avoid the death penalty. All right, time for some final thoughts. So, McCroskey apparently didn't shower or bathe after murdering these people, yet stayed in the house with the dead bodies for several days, and then when he leaves, he smells like rotting flesh, and people who encounter him say he was not suspicious. And that was according to several reports that I read. How, if you look like you're caked in gore and stink to the high heavens, how do you not? How are you not suspicious? I mean, I'm sorry, but a red flag goes off in my mind. Yeah, and the taxi driver what drove him an hour to the airport, a one hour drive, where he had to roll the window down and keep from throwing up because he smelled so bad. I mean, seriously. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess like maybe if you're just strictly talking about like behavior, like just you know. He's not like fidgety, he's not overly chatty, he's not seeming odd, but yet he smells terrible and has blood all over his clothes, and I mean, that's so gross. I don't know. I know that was a quick story for this week, but it it, it hit home on a few different levels. Like, we were talking about some of our personal experiences with our friends and growing up and stuff like that, but I think one thing I wanted to do, and I think you pulled the audio down, was before we wrap up and hit our plugs and sign off for the week. I, I listened to one song that I that I had pulled down for audio that I had sent you, and I didn't link up the timeline between when the song was, you know, written, produced, and recorded when compared to these actual murders. You know, obviously it was before because the dude's been in jail ever since, but I was hoping he'd play the song here at the end so everybody could listen. And if you actually listen to the words, I listened to it a couple of times last night, but you listen to our narrative, the story that we just told about McCroskey, and then you listen to this song. I think everything that unfolded in this story and all these murders that, that he committed, I think it was all premeditated. I think he knew before he got there what was going to happen because you can listen to it and there's a little bit of a, a drawdown at the end of the song where he's kind of like, talking or voices in his head about how he should kill himself and stuff like that. It's just crazy. It kind of creeps me out after reading through the whole story. All right, let's go a little VH1 behind the music here. We'll play some, play the song, and then we'll do our lyrical analysis because what the hell, we're experts in horrorcore rap. I got a problem that there ain't no solving I can't deal with all the shit that I'm causing I feel like I'm falling slowly in a bit of depression It leaves me drained and filled with aggression There's no one to blame but my fucking self I tried to change my ways but nothing helped I learned I can't rebuild the bridges that I burned I can't escape the pain because next day it all returns And to love someone so fucking hard for me Constantly on the search looking for that missing part of me Because I left so quickly it's completely unexpected but now as I look back it's probably cause I was always rejected 
I guess I learned my lesson, but it was always the hard way. I should keep my head up so I could let these scars fade. But that's an impossibility, it feels like it's killing me. Depression is filling me, I welcome death willingly. I open my door for death. I welcome him in as I take my last breath. I live a broken life that I can mend. Steadily waiting for my end. I open my door for death. I welcome him in as I take my last breath. I live a broken life that I can mend. Steadily wait for my end. In the future, I see myself holding alone. At home, all alone, holding the phone. Waiting for someone who actually cared enough to call. But I know they won't cause this ever ties with them all. You may ask why, but I don't even know. For some reason, I force all my good things to go. I fuck it up, even good things are thrown at me. Because I just feel uncomfortable being happy. And I know I can't trust anyone anymore. Because I have my trust broken too many times before. Everything started when I was just a little kid. But the older I get, the more fucked up that it is. I don't know how to change my habits. But I wish I could, so my life wasn't so tragic. So I slowly decay as I sit in this may. My last words are fuck you to the ones that made me this way. I open my door for death. I welcome him in as I take my last breath. I live a broken life that I can mend. Steadily waiting for my end. I open my door for death. I welcome him in as I take my last breath. I live a broken life that I can mend. Steadily waiting for my end. I don't wanna kill anymore. I don't wanna be alone anymore. I don't really need a reason to kill myself. I need a reason not to. There isn't one. The beat on that song actually was pretty good. I'm not going to lie. That wasn't too bad. But I will say, dude needs some work on rhyming and syllables. He's, You know, it was such a white rapper move right there. There was no, like, slang in there. And you're trying to throw in, like, because. <laughs> it's like the full word instead of, like, just saying, like, cuz and weird things like that. But the actual content of that song was a bit interesting. Like you said, it, it was him, like, battling his <clears throat> his inner demons with himself and talking about how he grew up and had a messed up childhood and was always rejected. So that's definitely fitting in this narrative. He he was rejected and turned to violence. Yeah, it does make you... I mean, horrorcore in general is a violent you know, genre of music where they talk a lot about murder and death and stuff. How much of that plays into this being premeditated, though? That's a question you kind of asked before we kicked off that song. I have a hard time saying because of that. You know, was it just him trying to be a badass and rapping about death and violence? Or was he pre like, I don't know, was he predetermined to do that? Maybe premeditated was not the correct term in the sense of, you know, overall what happened. But, I mean, obviously you can listen to that song and you you can hear that he's fucked up. He's fears rejection. He suffers from depression. I'm not trying to rhyme right now. <laughs> But, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, he said it started as a little kid, you know, at the end of the song, he's, you know, the only way he can fight it is to kill himself, blah, blah, blah. You know, he goes on and on and on. And maybe that rejection is what triggered the murders. Maybe when he got to Richmond and he got to their house, maybe he was, he felt, you know, the ultimate rejection from the parents, you know, he goes in there and, you know, he doesn't feel welcome. He, and you know, they're not, maybe they're not at that point digging, driving these kids up to see this concert at that point. I say kids, but they're actually, well, she was still a kid, but he was an adult. He was 20. She was 16. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah. So I'm not sure, you know, like you said, premeditated might not be the right word, but being involved in that culture, like we said earlier, some people can handle it and compartmentalize it and some people can't, you know, you might be right. Like, you know, it fed his mind to put him in that, that position to then want to, you know, commit a murder because he talks about it so much, talks about killing himself, talks about killing other people, you know, and that's the that's the the subgenre of music that they listen to. So in his mind, you know, some of these things may have fed into him deciding that it was a good idea or was okay at the time to murder these people for feeling rejected. I don't know for sure, but I'll lean on the fact that maybe it was a feeling of reject rejection on his side when he traveled across the country 
finally met up with Emma and her friend Melanie, whether it was rejection on, you know, the part of the girls towards him or Emma's parents towards him, something set him off. You know, I don't, I don't think he went there strictly with the intentions of killing her and her whole family and her friend. Something triggered it. Yeah, you know, according to the reports, it seems like what triggered it was once they met in person, Emma seemed unimpressed. You know, like she had built him up to be this thing, you know, online. And then they meet and she's like, eh, this isn't the kind of person that I thought he was, you know, once I met him. And I saw something that I mentioned, like he seemed less... Almost less alpha male is what it seemed like it was saying. Like, you know, he comes off as alpha online and in his music, and then you meet him and he's like this timid, shy person. And, you know, that could be a reason why, you know, maybe she wasn't as attracted to him in person was he just, his personality was completely different than his online personality. And, you know, I think about that sometimes. I am different online and through chatting and text messaging than I am probably in person. I'm mostly an introverted person, so... Like, when I'm typing and texting you, I feel like I'm more animated probably than I am when we have, like, a real conversation, (laughs) which is strange, but I don't know, I feel like I'm able to express myself more that way, and maybe he felt the same way, like, through his art, you know, his music, and through his online, you know, persona, he was able to project himself in a different way. I get that feeling, too. I I was looking at pictures of the two. And then individual pictures, and I think I think you're onto something there. I think when he showed up, it wasn't what she expected, and then she was kind of maybe turned off when she finally actually met him in person. Because he did, he did. You look at pictures of him, and even though he's trying to portray this horrorcore rap persona, he's kind of got the Opie vibe going on too. And that's my opinion. If you just look at pictures, that's what I. <laughs> that's my first thought. He does. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, it looks like, uh, bro, you're trying too hard. You know, like, <laughs> that's what it looks That's what it looks like when you look at him and you're like, man, you know, you just, you just look like you're pretending to be this person. Like, you don't look like you really want to be this but person. But I can see where he probably had the same issues at school. He tried to portray that personality or that persona at school, and then he went back to school and dropped out a second time and reportedly was bullied. You know, I can see where the kid might have been bullied, where he was just simply for the fact that he was trying to be something that he wasn't, right? Yeah, I mean, I think that's probably part of it. You know, he also probably started out that way, you know, because he probably went down this path because of the bullying, you know. So he turned to this culture where he felt like he fit in. And, you know, then he tries to project himself as this tough guy when, you know, he's just like this little ginger-haired pudgy dude who is not a tough guy. He doesn't really want to be a tough guy. He just wants people to like him. Right. He's going over, he's going above and beyond to try to get people to accept him and like him. I I get that feeling. Yeah, exactly. He really, and he says it in that song, he's sick of being rejected. And, you know, in his mind, you know, he just wants someone to love him and be kind to him. That's really what he wants, but he's not getting it from anyone. Well, I can't think of anything that's more of the ultimate form of rejection than having a cab driver roll their window down because you smell so bad <laughs> that you're going to puke. I think you sh- should have at least packed a change of clothes before he decided to hit the road. Yeah, what do you make of his plan to go to the airport a day ahead of time to hide from the police in the baggage claim area and think he's going to make it out without getting in trouble? Uh, probably the worst possible place to hide ever. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't you just, uh, I don't know. I mean, I think I would just, I mean, I think I would steal a car or something, you know, at that point you've already killed four people, like you're done. So you might, you might as well go lift a car and try and drive somewhere else. Like, you know, that, that case we did the other week with Paul Knowles dude was just like spree killing everywhere, like carjacking left and right. I mean, go straight Grand Theft Auto at this point. I mean, yeah, it's not like you're going to get on a plane and you're going to be untraceable. I mean, Everything you got to do to get on a plane is post 9-11 is absolutely crazy. But he did actually, I don't know if you can say that he stole the Reverend's car. He did take it and crash it, got a ticket, and did, the police released him for driving without a license. But he obviously was a shitty driver. He might not have made it very far. I'm trying to figure that one out, too. Like, they're in Virginia. It's September. Definitely isn't snowing. And I don't think they get a ton of snow in Virginia. I'm sure they get some, but not tons. So how the hell did this dude end up in a ditch? I don't know. Maybe he <laughs> smelled so bad he puked on himself and crashed. I don't know. 
<laughs> you might be right. I mean, there's a lot of questions that didn't get answered in this case simply because it didn't go to trial. And so there's a lot of things like, you know, what was he doing in the house for those couple days? You know, was he up all night? Did he was he doing drugs and drinking or I mean, I feel like he had to be doing some kind of drugs at least, right? I, I can't say for certain, but I would assume that's the case. Yeah. That's yeah, that's where I am. Yeah, so I mean, to tie a little ribbon on this case, I guess. I mean, clearly it's a shame that at the end of the day that this is this is what happened and and what it came to, but it just goes to show you how fragile people are in their mental makeup and at any minute someone can just snap. And uh, you know, you see that happen here where he just kind of loses his mind and he and he snaps and you know, mental health is no joke. I mean, you have to be unstable to go to these lengths and murder four people, especially like, you know, the reverend shows up a couple days later, a day later, and he gets murdered too. You know, it's like something's clearly wrong with you. Like you haven't, you know, obviously, I mean, you haven't decided that that was bad and turned yourself in and you know, this dude shows up at the house and you kill him too. And I mean, what's next? So I don't know. I don't know what he was thinking. I don't know what his long game was. He obviously felt tortured to some degree, because he felt the need to go out and kill four people after he was rejected. And so, you know, he was clearly feeling it. But, you know, I don't, I personally don't blame the music. I think the music and lifestyle he was living, it didn't help, but it wasn't the cause. The cause was something much deeper. You know, the cause is something that most likely happened at some age when, you know, he was a young child and he felt neglected, abused, who knows, you know, from his childhood, something just wasn't sitting right with him. And he felt this need to express himself this way, because it's just what his inner inner self was feeling. And then it finally mounted up to be too much for him to handle. And ultimately, it resulted in him murdering four people. Yeah. And the only thing I can say to wrap that up is, at least he manned up for just a minute. And, you know, he did plead guilty to the four murders. You know, he did so to avoid the death penalty, but if, if there's kudos to be given, at least he at least he manned up and owned it. It didn't go to trial, and he's obviously serving the rest of his life in prison. Yeah, and, you know, I can't say it better than that. The only thing I wish, the only reason I wish it would have went to trial was just to get more detail about why this happened or what events happened leading up to the actual event. You know, that's that's the only thing I would even care to to know from that but at the same time you know for the family's sake and everything else it's probably best that it didn't go to trial yeah i, I can imagine having to re relive a lot of those things that we talk about on this show from a from a victim's family standpoint no i mean there's a lot of rough stuff we touch on and we try to you know sprinkle in some of our personal stories and some humor in between because of the nature of what we talk about on a weekly basis and you know I'd, if we didn't i feel like you know, this could be a very depressing hour every week. <laughs> so that's not necessarily our style. And, uh, you know, I like to sprinkle in some additional personal stories and discuss these things. And also, it's always really interesting to me to hear and dissect these cases more with you and I talking about them, you know, after we go through the facts of the case. You know, that's the interesting part to me. I like to hear the conjecture around the case after hearing the, the facts about it. And so that's, you know, obviously what we're here to do. And, you know, again, you have a case this week where, you know, it's pretty tragic. You've got three members of the same family get killed and then an innocent bystander who was just a friend who happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. And Mel's family was trying to get a hold of her forever. And, you know, they're the only reason that he was even caught. You know, if her parents weren't concerned about her, you know, the police don't show up at the house the second time or even the first time for that matter. Yeah, he could have got on the plane, and it could be a cold case to the state, which I I don't think it would have been. If he smelt that bad on the way to the airport, can you imagine? Would they have even let him on the plane, smelling like death? I was just going to say that. Yeah, can you imagine sitting next to that guy? Oh, well, I've, I've personally smelled like death on flights a couple times, but not because I killed somebody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't say I haven't done that either. <laughs> you know that's just how we roll it's the way it goes <laughs> <laughs> so with that we'll wrap this this week's episode if you enjoyed the show please rate us wherever you listen to podcasts i can't stress that enough uh we have 
you know, receive quite a few ratings and we really appreciate that. It helps us come back higher in the search results. I can't stress that enough. So when people come to find the show, they hear about us, they see us on social media, whatever it is, you know, I can't tell you how many times we've been messaged that says, are you guys on iTunes? Are you guys on Spotify? Are you guys? Yeah, we're everywhere. And, uh, the higher, the more rankings we get, you know, the higher up our show, uh, comes back in the search results. And sometimes for some reason you can search killer and 10 other shows that don't say killer in the title come up ahead of us. So let's make that a thing where it doesn't happen like that anymore. And when you search for killer, we show up at the top of that list. So get out there and give us a rating, please. If you want to support the show, you can head out to our website, killerpod.net, and you can hit the support button at the top of the page, um, via the navigation menu, or you can hit up our Patreon, which is patreon.com forward slash killer podcast. And don't forget, you can also follow us on social media, even though we are both pretty terrible at the social media thing. Keep badgering us. We will reply. We try to reply to every message that we receive. So, Hey, we, we reply to every message. It's just, do we actually post content, <laughs> content during the week? <laughs> it's, it's a struggle sometimes. I mean, it's another thing that needs to, you know, have that care and feeding. And I, I personally am terrible. I need to hire a social media evangelist is what I need <laughs> yeah. to do. But anyhow... Follow us on social media. We can be found on Twitter at killer underscore podcast on Instagram at killer podcast. Our Facebook page is facebook.com forward slash killer podcast, or you can just simply shoot us an email killer podcast at gmail.com. That being said, it's a wrap this week. Thanks for listening. Thanks for rating us guys. Stay safe. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park.